and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ardena Osman, here with my friend, Chabruta and Gordon. Our dab today, Masach Baba Kama, Dab Chav Bet, page 22. Well, the Gemara is basically going to spend this entire dab discussing the section of the Mishnah, which talks about Hakelev Shanatal, right? This case of a dog that takes a, you know, a coal um, and goes to, uh, you know, a biscuit, sorry, that was on the coals and then goes to a stack of grain, and it lights the whole grain on fire. And so they're going to present here a machlokas between Rabbi Yochanan and Rich Lakish, uh, that, you know, about this particular case. Itmar, it was said, Rabbi Yochanan Amar, um, so Rabbi Yochanan says that the reason why uh, the owner of the dog would be chaya for the damage of this fire right, is because of his errors. In other words, it means because of the force that he generated, right? The, the, the fire was started. But Reish Lakish Amar, Whereas Reish Lakish says uh, that the reason that somebody is liable for damage here is because of the fire is because it was on his, uh, it, the fire was on his property. So what they're really discussing here is that when you have a fire that destroys things, if you set the fire on your own property and you weren't careful to make sure that it didn't spread somewhere else, right? That is, uh, you know, and, and it and it burns somebody else. That's the case that the Torah basically talks about in Safer Shmot, that you light a fire on your property and you're not careful and it spreads somewhere else. Where Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish have a machlokas over is for why is it that if somebody sets a fire, why are you high for damage? through the spread of that fire. Um, and so Rabbi Yochanan basically says that what the reason why you're Chayab is because the spread of the fire is like a person's arrows. In other words, it's like the person's force. That that fire becomes a manifestation of something that came out of that person. Where Rish Lakish says is that the fire is actually the person's property. And basically he wasn't careful of making sure that his property didn't cause damage okay now obviously the gemara is going to say okay why why do they each reject each other's viewpoint but Rish Lakish my time why does Rish Lakish not explain uh the fire the explanation of fire like Rabbi Yochanan so Rish Lakish would say to you one's arrows travel through his forest the fire doesn't travel through your forest in other words you light the fire and then you stand back and, and it and it spreads. But you didn't use force. You didn't propel your body, boy, right? When you pull an arrow back and then you have a go, you physically really did something in order to give that arrow the power to travel and to cause damage. Um, and why does Rabbi Yochanan not explain it like Rish Lakish? Rabbi Yochanan would say to you, Property has to like be right. It has to be mamcha. It has to have some substance. How lacely by mamcha? Fire doesn't actually have substance, right? The flame is not actually substance. Now, what's interesting is is that the rest of the dot is essentially going to spend time sort of challenging Rish Lukish's uh, <laughs> position. That's where they're really going to spend most of the time here. Um, so they begin with a challenge from our actual mission itself. And you're going to talk a little bit more about how they challenge Rish Lakish. Right? It says in our Mishnah that if a dog takes a biscuit and puts it on a stack and sets fire to it, 
the owner of the dog pays chesi nezek, pays half damages for the stack. So according to Rabbi Yochanan's explanation, it makes sense, right, that he's chaya for the fire because of his errors, because it's like the dog's errors. In other words, the dog actually, through its own force, you know, caused the, the damage, and therefore uh, you you have to pay it. It's almost like it's for a road, right? It's like the case of the pebbles. But for Rish Lakish, who says that the fire is his property, isn't the fire real, right? Is this fire the property of the dog's owner? In other words, really the fire is owned by the person who owns the biscuit. And the idea is, is that the biscuit, whoever owns that fire that the biscuit is on, it's not the owner of the dog. So the property is really the biscuit, and that doesn't belong to the dog's owner. So the Gemara, so how would Rish Lakish answer this? Amr Lach or Rish Lakish, so Rish Lakish would say, <coughs> So what is the case we're dealing with? Where the dog tosses, right, rather than places the biscuit, like he throws the, the biscuit. Now, I own a dog. I'm not, I've owned dogs, you know. I'm not quite sure how that would happen, but okay. So the biscuit itself, he actually pays full damages for because the dog ate somebody else's biscuit in the damaged party's yard, right? So he has to pay for Shane. So in other words, if the dog goes into somebody's yard, eats somebody's biscuit, and then the biscuit sets it on fire. So because of Shane, he would pay full damages because that's a destruction we expect to happen from a dog. And for the place that the coal went, right, wherever the coal went in the damaged properties, uh, uh, you know, yard, he would pay half damage. But the entire stack, other than the place of the coal, he actually is not high of at all. Because Rish Lakish doesn't understand that the spread of the fire is from the force of the person who set it. So this is kind of like the nafkamina of what the difference would be between Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. So according to Reish Lakish, when the Mishnah says that you pay half damages for the stack, for the Gadish, it's only the place where actually the coal was on. The rest of the stack of grain you're not actually going to pay for. And then the Gemara goes on to say, Rabbi Yochanan to Ancha Nuche. And Rabbi Yochanan can explain that the Mishnah is a case where the dog placed the biscuit on the stack, as opposed to Reish Lakish who says he throws it. And therefore, on the place of the biscuit and on the place of the coal, he actually would pay full damages because the dog's eating of the biscuit, again, is Shane, right? So that's something that you would pay full damage for. You also pay full damage for the spot which the dog put the biscuit on because it's normal for a dog to take a biscuit, right, and, uh, and to put it somewhere else. So that is actually an example of regal, is what most Mepharshim would say. That would be an example of regal. The al-gadish, the, the al-gadish, and then the whole stack that burns down, that he would pay half damage for. So the Gemara here very clearly lays out, you know, based on Reish Lakish's and based on Rabbi Yochanan's understanding of what the issue is with the fire, they actually will come up with two very different structures of what the payment would be for this for this case. And also their understanding of the case has to fundamentally be different, right? Where Rish Lakish says the biscuit is thrown and according to Rabbi Yochanan, it needs to be, uh, it, it needs to be placed. Um, so, uh, you know, it's an interesting machlokas. It's a little difficult to understand because it's 
it's talking very theoretically, I think, about fire in a way, in a conceptual way that we don't think about it, but it's so Gemara, I love it. It is so Gemara. I feel like this question over, you know, how, who's responsible for the, for the spread of fire is very, like, a fundamental Nazikan kind of question, because, because it's true, right? Fire can spread of its I don't want to say of its own accord. It needs oxygen. It needs somewhat breath to carry it. But it could happen if nobody's there. Or it could happen that somebody sets a massive fire and and they're responsible. Like, you know, I think the question is a really strong one. Um, I want to pick up the Gemara. Um, still on Amad Aleph. Still on Amad Aleph, we have a, like a case to kind of bring it as a question or a parallel, both really, to this whole discussion. And it happens to be both timely in terms of the season and also a very, very well-known Gemara. Um, I thought about doing a different piece and then I realized, no, no, we have to do this because it's it's just so, um, it's, it's really essential. Here we go. Tashma. Gamal ta'un pishtan. You have a camel that, and this is all a citation, this is from the Mishnah that's coming up, meaning in another 40 pages or so. Gamal ta'un pishtan va'avar b'rashut ha'rabim nechnesa pishtano l'toch ha'chanut v'dilko b'niro shal chedvani v'idlik et abira. So the case is as follows. You have a camel that has flax. It's, you know, a pack animal and it's got flax on it. It's going, it passes through the public domain and the flax kind of, you know, passes on the, like, it passes by a store and the store has a lamp and the the lamp's fire, because it's not electricity, right, ignites the flax. And so that's the shopkeeper's, that's the shopkeeper's lamp. And now what happens, it's going to end up that because, right, because that flax caught fire, the whole thing, the whole building is going to catch fire. And the, the statement there says that the owner of the camel is obligated to pay the damages even like the the caveat is, or the one that I, you know that I'm going to say in my words is, even though the the original flame was owned by the shopkeeper, right? You might be able to make a case that really, had the shopkeeper not had his lamp there, then there would be no issue. But the the camel with its flax is the one that's blamed, and therefore the owner of it has to pay. However, if the storekeeper had left his lamp or placed his lamp, if he just keeps it there all the time outside of his shop in the public domain. And that's what caused the flax to catch fire. Meaning, so the distinction is, you know, did the flax kind of peek its way, so to speak, into the shop and therefore catch fly- fire on the flame that was inside the shop? Then it's on the ca- on the camel and the camel's owner. But if the shopkeeper had his, had his fire, had his lamp outside the shop, then that's in the public domain, chenvani chayav. And the shopkeeper is, is obligated because it was his fire that led to all the destruction. And here we get the famous part. Um, Rabbi Huda says that if it's a Hanukkah lamp, meaning if you have your Hanukkah candles outside in the public domain on Hanukkah, and you're the shopkeeper, right? So theoretically, you could keep them inside your shop, you could put them outside your shop, and now the camel passes by and the flax catches fire on the Hanukkah candles. Now we say patur, meaning the shopkeeper does not have to pay because even though it's outside of his shop, because of the whole factor on Hanukkah of Pursume Nisa, of publicizing the miracle, that we light the candles outside, 
So then he's allowed to do that. He's encouraged to do that. And he can't be held liable for damage that happens, you know, through it's essentially through no, no fault of his own because he put the Hanukkah candles outside. It happens to be that this is really, if I'm not mistaken, this is basically the only time in all of Shas that Hanukkah is mentioned, except for the passages that we already saw in Masachat Shabbat around Daf 21, 22, 23, 24, around there. So, it, it, and, and it's not about Hanukkah, really, right? It's really about uh, damages and who's obligated, but it becomes a very famous Gemara because there's so little in the Talmud about Hanukkah itself. Um, okay. The Gemara, of course, goes on and brings other different possibilities of, you know, who would be liable, again, if the lamp is inside, if the, if the storekeeper, you know, how, who's liable when the, when the lamp of the storekeeper is moved in different places and how the camel can stumble upon it and so on. But I'm going to stop here. Um, Did you have anything to add before we close? No, it's just, you know, it's interesting. This is really one of the few references about Hanukkah. So we had to mention it. You know, the major Hanukkah piece we talked about was in Masaf and Shabbat, but it's, and there's a whole discussion to be had why Hanukkah is not referenced so much. So when we do see it, we sort of have to pay attention to it. It is Kislev. Yes, that's also true. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.